Give me eyes that see people the way God sees them. We can't often see people the way God sees them, can we? A lot of times we pass people by and we don't know what's going on in their lives. A lot of times, to be honest, I don't really have the compassion or the care for them. But I love the song because the composer is saying, Lord, could you give me a new set of eyes? Could you work something in me that would give me a compassion that would move me beyond indifference and move me into action? You know, the last couple weeks I've been sharing with you about the power of the resurrection and its impact on our present life today. How God takes care of our past through forgiveness, how he works in our present life, and then how he secures a future for us. And then last week we talked about how Jesus just went from the resurrection into the Great Commission, and he commissioned his disciples, his followers, to go and then tell everyone about the good news of the gospel. And that's me and you. We're given that commission. What an awesome When you think about it, it's beyond our ability, isn't it? It is so far, when I I saw the pictures of all of the different people in the world, and how do you help them? I know Mother Teresa said, well, you just start with one person, and you just help one person as God brings them to you. You can't save everybody, but you can do your part, and I can do my part, and we can work together to do what God wants us to do. Well, today I want to continue on in this series on the resurrection. And uh, what I want to talk about is being wholly worldly. Now, that sounds like a contradiction. To be wholly worldly. What do you mean by that, Al? There's two words. Holy mean being set apart for God, for His work and for His service. And worldly, I'm taking the word worldly or worldliness to be sent into the world and identify with people in need. So to be wholly worldly is something that Jesus prayed. He said, uh, uh, do we have that anymore? Did it come off? Uh, There it is. Jesus prayed for us to be wholly worldly. In John 17, 15, 6, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to send you guys into the world, but I don't want you to just be swallowed up and overwhelmed by the world and just follow the world. I want you to go against the tide, against the current, and I want you to be my hands and feet in the world. And so Jesus said, to do this, I have to sanctify them. I have to set them apart. I have to bring them into a relationship with me where they can be forgiven of their sin and then be empowered then to do the things that I want them to do. Sanctify them in truth. Set them apart. And he's praying this prayer in the upper room after he's broken bread with them. He said, set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy. Your word is truth. Just as you commissioned and sent me into the world, I also have commissioned them and send them into the world. And so Jesus had this prayer that he is praying for his disciples. 
But he's not only praying this prayer for them. In John 17, 20 and 21, it says, My prayer is not only for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus had this vision for the world. And he had a vision for us to be holy and in the world. He doesn't want us to just separate ourselves to stay in church, but he wants us to go out and share the message of the gospel with others. And to be honest with you, that can be really hard to do, can it? Because the message of the gospel is not always politically correct. The message of the gospel isn't always um, accepted by people. The message of the gospel can sometimes be awkward in a conversation with somebody. And I find myself more and more pulling back and silencing my mouth in conversation with people. Why? Because I don't want to offend them. But we don't see this in the book of Acts. We don't see this in the Bible. Now it does say that we have to be very loving and very committed to people and have the compassion that Jesus had, but we are not supposed to hold back the message of the gospel. Remember what Jesus did? He conferred his authority on them, and then he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gave them the marching orders, but he says, you're not going to be able to do this unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, when I first came to Christ, there was an obvious need in my life to overcome sin. I was in bondage to sin. I was in bondage to sin. There was a lot of things in my life when I was 18, but I had been not walking with the Lord all throughout my teenage years, and I had done some bad things and gotten in some bad habits. And so one of the things that God had to do was he had to break some of those those chains that were on me. And so he began to do that in my life and to set me free. But then at the same time, he wanted me then to share the gospel with other people. And so he gave me opportunity to do that. But what I noticed was I didn't have the power unless I asked the Lord for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I had to ask him quite often. (laughs) I don't know about how you are, but I I tend to leak the power of the Holy Spirit. I tend to, uh, it just tends to drain out of me a lot of times. And I start to act in my own with my own wisdom, my own strength, my own sinful nature. And it doesn't go too well. I don't know about you, but it doesn't go too well when we, when we leave uh, our dependency on the Holy Spirit or we lessen our dependency on the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was always talking about the Holy Spirit. And he was so excited that he was going to give us this gift of the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you remember the story with Nicodemus? Uh, Nicodemus goes up to Jesus and he says, you know, he wants to know how he can be right with God. And Jesus talks to him that, Nicodemus, you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus just does not get it. And Jesus tries to explain the Holy Spirit to him, who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works. 
And he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so Nicodemus is going, what? What are you, what are you talking about? The wind? You can't see the wind? Uh, and that's how it is with God. I mean, you can't predict him. And he's saying, yeah, that's right. But you have to be born of the Spirit. I heard the story of a young boy who asked his grandfather, who was a sailor, to show him the wind. And the grandfather just replied, I can't show you the wind, but I can teach you how to put up your sails, and you can catch the wind. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. He's saying, wait in Jerusalem until you are filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Open up your heart, wait upon God, and God will fill you with the Spirit. See, the disciples were born again, and they moved into action by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know it's true today. The Lord is no respecter of persons. If you want the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so you can serve God, love others, and share the gospel, God will fill you. If you desire that honestly before the Lord... Now, there may be some things that God has to clean out in your life like he had to, to make room in my heart and in my life for the Holy Spirit. But we have to be willing to repent of sin. We have to be willing to open up our lives and say, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? I want to follow you. I want to obey you. And just be honest with God. The wonderful thing about God is that when we're honest with him, he takes us up on that and he'll speak into our lives. So I want to go into the book of Acts here briefly today. Well, it's kind of not briefly. It's kind of four chapters in Acts. We're going to try to cover four chapters in 20 minutes. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about what was happening here with the disciples. So the disciples gather in this room. The Holy Spirit comes, fills them. Peter gives this message in Acts chapter 2. About 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And then God is working tremendously. And then in Acts chapter 3, the next day... About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John, they end up going out to to, to the temple to pray. And to go to the temple and pray, they always pass this called the beautiful gate. It was a bronze gate, historians tell us, that was the most beautiful gate. And there at that bronze gate, there was a beggar that had been there since he was a young young man or even a child. Somebody had brought him there. He was crippled, and they would lay him on the mat, and this man would beg for money. And so here he was again. Jesus probably passed this man going through the beautiful gate. The disciples probably passed them for 15, 20 years going through this same gate. This guy was there all the time. He was like a fixed guy. I don't know if you've ever been in the city, but sometimes people have certain places where they stop, and that's their place to ask for money. This man did that. He had his place, and he survived. He survived in his, on his life by, by staying there and begging. And for a Jewish person, it was considered you know, something you should do is to give alms to the poor. And so this man probably was able to sustain himself for 40 years doing this, or for however long. He was 40 years old, so however he began doing it, he was probably there. But the interesting thing is that Peter sees him differently than he ever saw him before. 
It's kind of like Peter got the eyes to see him in a different way than he ever saw him before. And this man comes up and he says, uh, please give me something. Give, do you have anything to give me? And you know what the Bible says. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, both of them. And then Peter said, look at us. In verse 5 it says, the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He goes, oh. I'm going to get something here. Now, this man was not a believer in Jesus. He was a beggar, just a beggar who was broken, dependent on others. Kind of like a picture like you and I, without Christ. And then it says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him up by the right hand, He helped him up, and instantly the man's ankles became strong. I love the picture here that Luke gives. Luke's a physician, okay, and he's writing the Acts, so he's very detailed about this. He said he took him by the right hand, and he picked him up, and not only were his feet strengthened, but his ankles were strengthened. It was a miraculous thing that happened that it's like, you know, It was shriveled up, and it's like somebody pumped some air into it, but it was sinews and muscle and bone, and this man stood up. And then you get this idea, the man (laughs) gets up, and then it says that he went walking and leaping and praising God. So this wasn't just some, you know, progressive miracle, you know, the guy, you know, I I feel a little tingling in my foot today. And then tomorrow, oh my, I can move my toes. No, it was instant healing. It was the miraculous. And so the man jumps up. <laughs> Wouldn't you do that if you, if you were the man? For the first time in 40 years, he's able to walk. And he's praising God. And you know what's interesting is every person in that temple knew that man. They had walked by that man. Going into the temple to worship God and coming out, they had seen that man. Probably sometimes they just didn't even want to look at him because they didn't want to make eye contact with him because you'd have to give him something. And so this is this man that is totally saved. And Peter then sees this opportunity because all the crowd is there and they're getting excited about what happened to this man and they're wondering, how did this happen to him? And so it says here, In verse 12, it says, When Peter saw this, he said to the crowd, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? No, it's not us. He's saying, it's not me. It's Christ in us. And this is what we have to get in our minds. If we want to be holy and worldly, It doesn't depend on us. It depends on the power of God in us and us acting on the leading and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is through Jesus Christ, he says, that that you guys rejected, crucified, but God raised him from the dead. It's because of what Jesus has done, this man stands here alive. And then Peter doesn't hold back. He's got a captive audience. Here's this man. He's probably still jumping. He's so excited. He's probably doing jumping jacks. And everybody's looking at him. And then Peter probably has to calm down, calm down. Let me explain what's happened. And so he does. 
He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Wow. And so they take, they look at this man that has been touched and changed, and then it's beginning to click with them. And Peter goes on. He does not stop there. So he says he gives them the whole gospel. He says, you got to repent. You have to turn around and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. And so the center message, you need to encounter Jesus Christ. Man, I love this message that Peter gave. He gave it in five or ten minutes, and it says that over 5,000 people came to the Lord. I don't know why I can't preach in five or ten minutes. I know you wish I could. But it takes, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to have that impact on people's life because the Holy Spirit was already drawing them. And it's, this is a good lesson for preachers. Longer is not always better. Can I get an amen? You know, it's got to be the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So as Peter's speaking to this crowd, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are realizing that there's an uproar here. 5,000, it says 5,000 men. And it doesn't say how many women and children there were too. So this is a large crowd of people that are recognizing this. People are running because everybody has known this man who was crippled. And so they're seeing this man... They've, I've got to see this for myself. And so they went and saw who this man was and why he was healed. Wouldn't it be amazing if we saw God do those same things today? He is doing those things. I've heard reports of those things happening in other countries. In fact, when the gospel is first penetrating the country, there's miracles that happen where people uh, are transformed. Some are immediately healed. Some blindness people actually see again. God is able to do that. But what did the uh, Sadducees do? They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. So what's happening here? Peter and John are being holy and worldly. See, what they're doing is they entered into this man's life. They took the risk of praying for him. They took the risk of entering in, into his life. And then they also took the risk of opening their mouth and explaining why this has happened. You know that sharing the gospel is really sharing your story or what God has been doing in your life? That's the beauty of the gospel, that you can actually share what God has done in your life, in your past, presently what he's doing in your life. Even your struggles, there are times when we share our struggles with a neighbor and we say, but I'm trusting God to get me through it. That's just being honest. And that's saying, I'm depending upon God to get me through the next season in my life. Thank God that he gives us that ability to do that. 
But you know what? They are bold. You know what they're not being? They're not being safe. You know, I think we put too much emphasis on safety in our lives. We're always praying for everybody to be safe, aren't we? We're always thinking about how safe. You know, we're praying for our kids. They've got to be safe. Don't do anything that would make you unsafe. Stay safe. Pray for my safety. You know, our whole, we're consumed with being safe. You know, because we're scared, because all these things are, ha- all this chaos is happening in the world today. And it's happening in the United States, and it's happening all around us. And we're all praying for safety. But you know what we're not praying for? We're not praying for boldness. We're not praying for courage to share the gospel. And in the book of Acts, they are praying about boldness. They know it's not safe. But they're still going forward, even in an unsafe area, to proclaim the gospel. This is what happens. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers in the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others of the high priest family. These are the same people that put Jesus on trial. It's the same people, the same leaders that were probably in the Sanhedrin who did that trial and condemned Jesus to be crucified. It's those same people that are there that uh, 40, 50 days later are seeing that these disciples are still following this Messiah, Jesus. And they're doing it with boldness. And this guy is healed. We know this guy. We've passed this guy too. Ananias, Caiaphas, all those guys, they passed him too. They knew he was a beggar who had been crippled since birth, had been lying on a mat for 40 years asking every day for money. And now he's healed. How do you wrap your mind around that? Peter then, what does he say? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice that word again, filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't emphasize that enough. Peter, the early church, they were dependent upon being filled with the Holy Spirit. There was no other option for them. They were dependent on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called on account today for an act of kindness show to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This man stands before you healed. You see, Peter was so determined to let them know, this isn't because of me. This is because of Jesus. And you know the same thing in our lives. Don't talk about yourself. Talk about what Jesus has done in your life. It's so refreshing to hear what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Peter is so determined to let them know that. You know, when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives us an indicator that we too have to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but there's times when I just need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. It was even this week, because I knew I was going to be speaking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not feeling filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I don't know if you guys ever feel that, like, or you don't feel like going to church, or you don't feel like sharing the gospel, or you don't feel like loving your spouse, or your children, or your parents, or whatever it is that you know you need to do, but you don't have the power to do it. It's time that you ask God for his help. I remember the battle I was having, and... uh, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to spend extra time with the Lord. Because for me to be filled with the Spirit, I have, to, I have to stop what I'm doing. And I have to get in the presence of the Lord. And I have to eliminate distractions and just get in His presence. That's the only way uh, that I know to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. That's how, that's how it is in my life. I'm just sharing that with you. It may be the same in your life. But to get to that place, I don't know, it's just really hard to do. It's really hard to uh, unplug and put down my responsibilities and, and take, it doesn't take long. It may just be 15 minutes of just being quiet before the Lord and then just making that commitment. Or it may be like uh, setting aside, you know, while I'm going through my day, maybe missing a meal or two, and, and taking some extra time to fast and pray and allow God to renew that relationship. Allow him to speak, giving him time to speak. And for me, God always honors that. If I take a time to fast and pray, God always honors that. And it's not always in the fast that he honors it, but it's sometimes afterwards that something will break through and I'll get to understand and know what God wants me to do or be empowered to do what he wants me to do. So I want to encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 11, 4, 11 and 12, Peter continues to speak to these people. And he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. Boy, that is not politically correct. You know, Peter, you could lose your job for that. Peter, you could get kicked out of school for saying something like that. Today you could. You know, it takes a lot of boldness to say, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. So Peter gives this two-minute reply, and they ask him, why, how, what's been going on? And, and he gives them this reply, and the reply is so straightforward and so clear that Caiaphas and Annas and all these people, they don't know what to do. They say, guys, let's have a meeting. <laughs> so they step back a little ways, and they say, what are we going to do? You know, let's just tell them they, they're not allowed to speak like this anymore. Don't, don't speak up like this anymore. If you do this, you're going to be arrested again. And so they figure, we'll intimidate them. And then it says, verse 13, 14, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing else they could say. And what does Peter respond? He says, as for us, we can't help speaking about 
what we've seen and heard. We can't shut up. We have to tell somebody. We have to tell other people because it's, it's just, it's, it's too wonderful that God can intervene and answer prayer, that, that Jesus can save us from our sins, that he can actually forgive us and we can have a relationship with God that is holy and right and wonderful and full of power. We can't stop it. No wonder they couldn't stop because they were experiencing what they were talking about. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Wow. What a pattern here. They're going to pray. They're in prayer in Acts chapter 1. They come out of prayer. The Holy Spirit fills them. Then they share the gospel. People come to know the Lord. Then they go back to prayer. Then they heal a guy. Then they get arrested. And then they go back to prayer. They tell the gospel. 5,000 people get saved. Then they go back to prayer. And then they're together with everybody else. Like, you know, like it would be our church. You know, you get together and they start to tell stories. and And then somebody says, hey. That's unsafe to do. Do you know that you could be thrown in prison again? That's not a very safe thing to do. Let's pray for safety. Is that what they did? No. They didn't do that. They didn't pray for safety. You know, I'm going to be going to Jordan on Saturday. You know what my first prayer was? Pray for safety. (laughs) That's not what the apostles prayed. They prayed for boldness. So I'm changing my prayer request. Ask the Lord to give me boldness, okay? Not to be afraid, but to speak whenever I can and share the gospel with whoever God gives me to share the gospel with. That's what the disciples did. So how do they pray? They understand what happened. They're threatened. So they take that threat and they lift it up to God. And they say, God, this is what they're saying, but I know you're over and above anything, any threat that comes my way. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then (laughs) the Bible says the place After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Again, they were filled again. So there's this continually filling of the Holy Spirit and dependence upon the Holy Spirit that we all need. So the book of Acts in the early church talk about this pattern and it's our pattern as well. That's why it's so important that we gather together that we pray together, that we worship together, but then that we're also sent out into the world to be holy and worldly, right? We go back to our jobs, we go back to our schools, we go back to our friends, our family, and we share the things that God has been doing in our lives. It's a beautiful way to live. It's an exciting way to live. I don't always live that way, and you probably don't either, but it is the way to live. It's the best way to live. So, what are some action steps to lead lead a holy 
life, a holy worldly life. Recognize your need for daily empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Recognize your need for a daily empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's so important. Pray with others and for others. Be prepared to share the gospel and God's love with others. And then third, find a group of believers that you can meet with and help you to be holy, worldly people. Now, I'm not going to let you off the hook here, okay? Today, I, I finished this message, did four chapters in 20 minutes. Now, what I, want, I, guess I still got 15 minutes left, but I want to use this time for you to pray with two or three people and pray God's um, power into each of your lives because we're going to put application to this. We're going to be like the early church was, okay? What did they do? They got together and they prayed together. So let's take some time. We're going to take five, ten minutes to pray together, groups of two, three, four, five people, and just pray for one another. I know you may be here, it's new, uh, but if you can gather, if you don't want to pray out loud, it's okay. Let the other person pray for you. Hopefully, one out of three will pray. But I hope all of you will pray. Make your prayers short. Pray for each other. If there's a special need that you have, and say, you know, this is what I'm going through. Can you pray, pray this for me? Don't take 20 minutes to explain it, because you won't have 20 minutes. You only have 10 minutes. But I want to take this time to pray for one another. There's two verses that we have. Chris, can we show them up here? I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. If you're looking for something to pray for somebody, pray what Paul prayed. Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit in their inner being so they can know your love. There's another verse that says this. He says, I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. So these are ways that we can pray for one another. Pray that, you don't have to pray these exact words, but, but spend some time in prayer, okay? So break up into a few groups, small groups, pray for one another.